With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everybody, welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing FNU's Minor League Podcast. I'm Steve Seiper, and I'm joined by Lucas Vlahus and Ken Levin. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. I'm doing good. This is uh, definitely not the second time we're recording this. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have to definitely, say anything. Thanks for blowing my socks. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, well... Um, I was thinking about scrapping promote extend trade altogether, uh, but because of the content, I will do it because I feel like you guys will appreciate it. And on this date back in 1766, William Franklin, who is the illegitimate son of Benjamin Franklin and also the colonial governor of New Jersey, he signed the charter for Queens College. And then in 1825, Queens College was renamed Rutgers University in honor of Colonel Henry Rutgers. So, in honor of Rutgers, who are we going to promote, extend, or trade of these following Rutgers alumni? There's Todd Frazier, David DeJesus, and Eric Young Sr. It's a good list. Uh, the first time, the, the conversation we had the first time around was that David DeJesus is generally underrated and Frazier is overrated, but 
Ken, what was your term to describe Frasier, Ken? Uh, Todd Frasier is a lovable goon. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want the, the full the full version, it's a lovable goon from down the shore. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yep. Is Tom's River on the shore, though? I don't know. It's, my, it's in Monmouth County. Sure, it's close sure enough to the shore. Yeah, it's yeah. on the it's on it's on the Garden it's, State, but it's not it's really in shorty. the area collectively referred to as the Jersey Shore. Everyone, everyone mm-hmm. in Monmouth County, I can I can say this having grown up in Monmouth County, will say they they live on the shore. So it's yeah. the shore. All right, I, I, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was more in like the Pine Barrens, like kind of. It's getting down yeah. that way, but not. Yeah. not like, it's it's like the Jackson. southern portion of the shore. Gotcha. And they kind of touch at the bottom, the Pine Barrens and the shore. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I would like this to be the last time we mention the Pine Barrens on this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) I have beef with, uh. With the Pine, with South Jersey? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Far South Jersey. Um, Mm. that's fine. That's a story for another day, I guess. Yeah, that'll be on a a different podcast. (laughs) Um, yeah, so I, I think I'm gonna extend Todd Frazier because again, lovable goon. Um, I'm actually going to throw in a curveball and promote Eric Young Sr. Uh, solely for nepotism reasons that he grew up, you know, within two miles of where I grew up and <laughs> went to this. <laughs> and uh, David DeJesus, you're good, but get lost, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Eric Young definitely has the intangible factor of being like the original Rocky. Uh, that That's a thing. At the same time, I do love the the under undervalued tweener guy, so I'll I'll, I'll promote DeJesus and, and trade Eric Young. He can get traded again. I'll just trade him to Colorado for the second time. It'll work out. <laughs> Worked out fine the first time. Eric Young Jr. also was somebody like uh, my coaches in college all talked about the 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 two youngs, the ones who had been there for both of them, because huh. they they played in our conference at They're different times. Yeah, it was like, oh, we used to hear about this kid, Eric Young. <laughs> then, uh, yeah. He's apparently a ridiculous athlete. I'm sure. Oh, he yeah. can fly. He just yep. can't hit. Yeah. He would do good in a dead ball era. Mm. Cut and slash season. Yeah. Well, uh, Fraser and De Jesus, they actually both got rookie of the year votes in their respective rookies of rookie years. Frazier was a rookie in 2012, which is crazy because it seems like he's been around forever, but he hasn't. <laughs> and he hit 273, 331, 498 with 19 homers, and that was good for third in the NL that year behind Wade Miley and Bryce Harper. And then De Jesus in his rookie year, which is 2004, he hit 287, 360, 402, and that was good for six in the AL between uh, behind Alex Rios, Zach Greinke, Daniel Cabrera, Shingo Takatsu, and the eventual winner, Bobby Crosby. So not for nothing, but that was a pretty bad uh, rookie class in 2004 American League. Oh, Zank, uh, uh, Zach Greinke, obviously, though. Still chugging along. Granky seems to have worked out pretty well. Uh, yeah. The rest, uh, not so much. Rios was okay. That's true. But yeah, everybody else. Not as bad as the uh, the NL Chris Coglin here. That one is always frightening. Oh yeah. Cogs for uh, Christ. 
can we uh can we shout out Jason Jennings, I think the two thousand two winner? Sure. The National League Rookie of the Year. I don't He's I don't my, even know who that is. He's my vote for uh least impactful rookie of the year award winner. Yeah, I'm sure if you looked and just went down the list there'd be some wild you yeah, find like some a wild stuff. That are like a couple of years where there's just not a very strong crop. Well, um this year was not one of them in the in the NL anyway. And early in the year, back before From Complex to Queens was even its own thing, back when we were just a little minor league segment edition on Amazing Avenue Audio, we did a show right before the 2019 season started, and we had some predictions. And I'm getting a little better with all this audio editing stuff, so I'm going to play a clip of one of my predictions. Um, one prediction that I'm going to make, and I don't think it's particularly bold, is that Peter Alonso is going to be the National League Rookie of the Year. Now, that prediction is not as bold as Lucas's prediction that Wilfred Acedillo would become a Mets top prospect. Don't, 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 don't poo-poo my dreams. Steve. Yeah, it uh, could still happen. We could it still could have still La Tartuga happen. 2.0. Alcidio wasn't good until he was like 27. I've got eight years left on this prediction. <laughs> yeah. Get off my back. Catches are weird, we know. His so. his official name needs to be La Tortuga 2 Electric Boogaloo. Uh-huh, his. uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, that prediction inexplicably came true. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, Peter Alonzo, Pete Alonzo, is your 2019 National League Rookie of the Year. Yay. I mean, you can tell we're a very high-energy group here. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can't tell by my voice and my, you know, stoicness and everything. But I, I really haven't been this happy about uh, an individual's play, individual player's achievement since, like, Dickie won Cy Young in 2012. Uh, I know DeGrom won last year, and there's a pretty good chance that he's going to win it again this year. But I mean, he should. Yeah, he should, but it just I don't know what it is about DeGrom. I mean, he's just kind of like a quiet dude, but it just doesn't have the same feeling for me as Alonzo winning um, this one. Maybe part of it is that when I took over the prospect side of things here at Mason Avenue, it was 2016, and that was the year that Alonzo was drafted. Whereas Degrom was was in the system for a bit longer, and of course he was never really a, a highly touted prospect. But I don't know. It, it just feels like you know, following Pete's career from you know the beginning till now, it's just like you know, just a bit more fun. And he's just like a, a more high energy personality. Is that a good way to call it? As compared to Degrom, I think that's fair to say. Yep. Yeah. I know we've never seen DeGrom shirtless, so uh, I think that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it was going back and just kind of looking over Pete's career from, you know, beginning till now. It's kind of crazy, uh, the trajectory of his, you know, career and how, you know, we'll, we'll go into this a little bit in in more depth, but Multiple times, um, he almost kind of got passed over 
or wasn't you know was was not as valued as highly because of his defense and you know obviously it's improved now as compared to you know how it was back you know in high school and college and, and even in the minors but you know, and this dude you know he he broke the rookie home run record and it's crazy to think that you know out there there were scouts there were coaches there were people that poo-pooed him because he wasn't the best defender his defense wasn't even bad, I felt like. Uh, maybe, granted, I'm not a defensive expert in first base, is hard to judge, but. I've always said that if you're going to, the only way to be, you have to be a special kind of terrible to be unplayable at first base in modern baseball. Like. Yeah. We have, but we, some of the reports were like, yeah, if there's a pop-up, he just like panics and he can't deal with it. And he looked fine. I can't, like, I don't know that there was a single ball in the air that he really so, like, I think you, nah. you get into, like, um, you know, having one particular look color your view of a player. Because, mm-hmm. like, Pete will have lapses, but literally yeah. all players will have lapses. And when you're looking for, you know, what could go wrong here, it's that the lapses become more than lapses. I you think know? I called it, like, defensive yips or something like that. Yeah. We talking about it a while ago. But how often does that really happen? Do guys' careers, you know get completely derailed because of some minor mental thing that they can't get over. You know? Yeah. I mean, I like, <laughs> I mean, I thought the report was more, he just can't track a ball in the air at all. Which, which I would think, you know, of course he's going to learn how to track a ball in the air. I, I also wonder how much, cause like he's a big dude and for, even for a big dude, he's not particularly graceful. Like it's kind of painful to watch him run just the mm-hmm. way he runs. So I wonder if just the, the poor aesthetics of it led yeah, people to be less confident in it. Like thought he was worse. He looks worse than he actually is. I'm sure that, con- I'm sure that contributed it to a degree, but I mean, I've seen, I've seen him make stupid plays that should have been made that he just kind of bungled. And I've seen him make like really, really good heads up plays, like you know, minutes later. So you are describing a perfectly average defender. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, well, it's, it's uh, not like his range was disastrous. He nope. could pick it at first, just fine. So like, it, it sounded like it was going to be a lot worse than it was. And he did also, you know, put in a lot of work and everything before. Uh, yeah, he, he did get a lot better. Before spring training this past season, and he did improve, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so going back to the beginning of Pete's career, uh, we know he's a Florida man. He attended Jesuit High School in Tampa for his freshman and sophomore years, and then he transferred to Plant High School in his junior and senior years. And at both schools combined, he posted a cumulative high school varsity batting line of 460, 517, 813, with 17 homers. <laughs> I love high school batting line. You know, and then you'd think with, with a line like that, coaches all over the country would have been salivating. But again, you know, he was just, he, he was seen as damaged goods. Uh, his coach at plant, Dennis Braun, he said they lost track of how many colleges passed on recruiting Pete because they deemed his defense to be more of a liability than his bat would be able to make up for. And the Florida Gators coaching staff had to actually be talked into 
uh, sending him an offer to play there. But obviously that would be one of the best decisions that uh, Kevin O'Sullivan, who's the coach, would make because, you know, Pete Alonso became Pete Alonso. In his first year at the Gators, which was 2014, he was solid if unspectacular. Uh, he played 60 games. He was the team's first baseman, third baseman, NDH. And he hit 264, 344, 376 with four homers. Um, nothing too impressive, but he did chip in with a couple of clutch hits. And he did his part. And the Gators went 40-23. and 23, And they won the SEC regular season title, but they got eliminated in regionals. After they lost to the College of Charleston and North Carolina. Pete Alonso, third baseman, is a funny thought. Yeah, um, earlier in his minor league career, he actually had more games logged at third base than he did at first. That's in, funny. You know, like in his Cyclones and then uh, early St. Lucie days. So that summer, he went to uh, the Northwest, the Northwoods League, and he played for the Madison Mallards, a good team name. And he ended up winning the league MVP. That year, uh, he hit 354, 419, 624 in 59 games, and he hit 18 homers, which is a team record. And that's pretty crazy. They hit 18 home runs in 59 games. Dude and just started he, hitting dingers and never stopped. Yeah, like, hey, this much. is fun. That pretty much is what happened. And uh, when he got back to the Gators for his sophomore year, you know, you'd think that based on his performance in the Northwoods League that it would carry over and he'd have a breakout year. But things, unfortunately, didn't go as planned. And this would kind of become a recurring theme in Pete's early career in college and the minor leagues. About a week or so before the season started, the 2015 season started, he broke his foot during batting practice and he missed a month or so of, of time. And... He returned to the lineup in early April. He got about a month of play under his belt. And then at the beginning of May, another freak injury. This time a ball ricocheted off the ground during batting practice. And it hit him in the face and broke his nose. Now, the injuries are going to be, you know, a recurring theme in his career. But so is the fact that Pete isn't a normal player. He's such a team-first player that he's willing to put him, his, his own body at risk. I mean, that seems a little extreme for a baseball player to say it like that, but, mm. you know, a normal guy would have taken the time to recovering from a broken nose. But Pete returned to the lineup two days later. Uh, he wore one of those softball helmets that have, like, the face mask that protects the face. Now, I wonder, right, so if Giancarlo Stanton can get one with a G on it, I wonder if, you, how would you stylize a Pete into, uh, like, a, uh, you could probably get Pete into, like, the metal mesh of that helmet. That's what he should, that's the look he should have gone with. <laughs> Though the NCAA probably would have said that's a violation and ruled him ineligible because they suck, but yeah, the NCAA is not uh, exactly a very liberal organization and, and, and things like that. Fired into the sun. Mm-hmm. But he hit well in this in that final month, and he ended up hitting 301, 398, 503 in 39 games with five homers, and um. The Gators had a 52-18 and 18 record, and they made it to the College World Series, but unfortunately they were eliminated after they lost twice to the University of Virginia, so they placed third in the tournament that year. 
And that summer, Pete went to the Cape Cod League. And, you know, in order to make up for some of that loss of playing time. And the Cape Cod League is, you know, kind of prestigious. And it's not a place where you put... It's kind of like the Arizona Fall League in a way, but for college players. You put stock into those numbers, but, you know, also take them at the grain of salt at the same time. I, I have a kind of dumb question about this, actually. How do they decide who goes to the Cape League? Do, like, colleges send players, or or is it just they... I never understood that, actually. I believe that you have to just be invited, and I'm also pretty okay. sure that there's a, a financial aspect to it. You know, you have to pay uh, to play, uh, that kind of, of thing. Uh-huh. I mean, I can get uh, confirmation on that. I don't want to be smearing the Cape's name here. Good name of the Cape Cod League. Yeah. But uh, Pete was uh, – he played for the Bourne Braves, and surprisingly, he didn't really impress. Uh, he hit 257, 353. 267 in 30 games. Imagine Pete Alonso slugging 267. Jeez. I mean, that's what a that's what a wood bat will do to you when you're used to that nice, flexible aluminum. Yep, exactly. Um, that's why kind of you, you know, at, at, when you're looking at draftees, you kind of put a little stock into what happened in the Cape because you know they use wood bats there, so it's you know you could kind of say okay, a little more indicative of what they might produce as major leaguers using wood bats as opposed to the NZA metal ones. But, you know, poor performance isn't exactly a death sentence. Right. So Pete returned to Florida in twenty for his 2016 season, his junior year, and he put those struggles behind him, and he started on a tear. But, unfortunately, another freak injury. On May 13th, in the bottom of a tight 2-1 to game against Vanderbilt, he was hit in the hand by a 96-mile-per-hour pitch uh, thrown by Jordan Sheffield, and he broke his pinky. And, uh, you know, it was kind of questionable if Pete would even be able to get back on the field as a Gator because the MLB draft is right around the corner. And, you know, it, it would have been the smart thing to do to sit out the rest of the year, get drafted, see what the team that drafted you wanted to do, and you just go, you know, from there. But again. Pete Alonso is a gamer, and he wasn't thinking about that. He was thinking about his team. And keep in mind how good the 2016 Florida Gators were. The rotation was Dane Dunning, A.J. Puck, Jackson Kawar, Alex Fajardo, and Brady Singer. That uh, is... Three first-round picks? Yeah, that is that is a dominant rotation. Was Fado a first-round pick? I believe he was, or he might have been like a comp... And then Singer was, and Puck was. That's a. And Puck was also like a god in college. It was yeah. Stupid. But he was in consideration to go one-one for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I but, mean, I still think he's going to be a stud at the when he gets up for the A's. But like in college, no one's hitting that slider. Yeah. Alex Fiedo went eighteenth uh, in twenty seventeen. There you yep. go. But um, yeah. That team was as good, and they did as well as they did because of that pitching staff. The you know the position players wasn't wasn't as decorated, and really Pete was the team's primary power bat, and he knew that, and he knew that they needed him. And Coach O'Sullivan resisted at first, but he eventually gave in, and during regionals Pete returned. 
His finger was his his pinky was broken, and yet the dude was back in the game because he wanted the Gators to go on to the College World Series. And of course, in his first game back, his first at bat, he hit Homer. And then later in the game, he had a second one. And in the last uh, seven games with the Gators, he went 13 for 28 with four doubles and three homers. And that gave him for the year uh, 374, 469, 659 bat in line in 58 games with 14 homers and an even 31 walks and 31 strikeouts. And uh, the Gators, they didn't, unfortunately for that team, they didn't go all the way in the 2016 College World Series. They finished seventh after losses to the eventual champion Coastal Carolina team and Texas Tech. So Pete, you know, never got the chance to hoist the College World Series trophy, but he had nothing to be ashamed of for his, you know, three years at, at the University of Florida. He had a cumulative 316, 407, 517, with 23 homers, 68 walks, and 88 strikeouts. And, you know, same thing like before he got accepted to the University of Florida. Despite his gamer mentality, despite the reputation for playing the game the right way, all of that power, being a great teammate, his defense continued weighing him down. And a lot of teams were kind of hesitant to draft him. And actually, you know... I guess this really encapsulates his college career. In his last game as a Gator, he committed a throwing error in the top of the ninth, and that let Texas Tech take a uh, 3 to nothing lead. And then the bottom of the inning, he hit a two-run homer, <laughs> making it 3-2. to two. So if he hadn't committed that error, the, the Gators would have tied it. So, yeah. Baseball gods giveth, and the baseball gods taketh away. Exactly. Though I guess in this case they took it away and then give us, but you know it doesn't flow quite as well. Yeah, um, but believe it or not, only five to seven teams actually showed real interest in him leading up to the draft. That's you know that's crazy, especially you know what we what we know now and what he has done. And the Mets were reportedly interested in drafting uh, Wake Forest slugger Will Craig with their first-round pick, but they selected Justin Dunn out of the University of Boston instead with that pick. And then Craig was picked a few few selections later by the Pirates, so the Mets had to go with another slugger. And with their second-round pick, they picked Pete, 64th overall. And he signed with the Mets in June for... Little over, uh, excuse me, a little under a million dollars, nine hundred thousand, and that was about a hundred thousand dollars less than slot value. And uh, you know, not only did they get a better value because Craig signed for the Pirates at slot value, but they got the better player because, well, Will Will, Will Craig is. Will Craig hit two forty nine, three twenty six, four thirty five this year, in triple, which is an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> That's a 92-weighted in AAA for a dude who, uh, quote-unquote, plays first base. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, he really got the benefit of the doubt on defense. Uh, being a, a third baseman in college, not having made the move yet. 
that was really like the only difference between the two of them in terms I, of like draft stock. I think you need to make a big put bigger emphasis on the third base there. The air quotes around. Yeah, third no, base. it proved to, to be you know not really a difference at all. Yep. So uh, yeah, crazy wild ride for amateur Pete. And when we get back from this break, we'll talk a little bit about professional Pete. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos and Ken Levin, and we're just reminiscing about Pete Alonso, the early days, rookie of the year Pete Alonso, before he was a major leaguer. And uh, his college career, I think, could be summed up a lot of, you know, a lot of bad breaks, both literally and figuratively. Um, and as we'll see, uh, you know, for anyone who has followed him, since becoming a Mets player, his minor league career was kind of similar. Um, he was initially assigned to the Brooklyn Cyclones in 2016. And the Cyclones, you know, their season didn't exactly start out that great. <laughs> On their first game, they played 20 innings against the Staten Island Yankees, and they lost. And then the next day, it was another extra inning game, and they lost. But to add insult to injury, they got no hit. So the Cyclones, they were a sub-500 team before Alonzo finally suited up for them. And as an advanced college hitter from an elite NCAA division, you know, where he, he pretty much regularly faced competition that was equal or better than what he saw in the New York Penn League, Pete was like a man among boys. He hit 289, 372, 553 in his first 10 games. And then he hit... 321, 382, 587 in this first month. Uh, as, I, think he, as, I think he can hit. Yeah, I mean, we all know that it's, uh, you know, MCU Park is a tough place to be a hitter. And a, a batting line like that in that park is, just, it's comical. It's uh, 184 WRC plus. Yeah, not bad. That'll do. Uh, that'll play. Mm hmm. I wonder how I'm trying to think of how catastrophically bad a defense you'd have to be for a 180 to not play. <laughs> like, like, like have you just be, don't have like arms somehow. Mike Trout on offense and Dan Vogelbach on defense. I'm not even sure Vogelbach is, is bad enough. You'd be like a new level of awful. Like you just go to the base and you just Kyle Schwarber the outfield. as a catcher. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah, that might be it. Kyle Schwarber, <laughs> the catcher years. <laughs> well, we were talking about bad breaks for Pete, and unfortunately, at the end of the 2016 season, uh, in August, the injury bug hit him again. Uh, he broke his pinky, sliding into second base, and that forced him to miss the New York Penn League All-Star game that he had been selected in. But the rest of the 2016 season, which was about, at that point, about a month ago. So that winter, um, 
Amazing Avenue. We ranked him 16 on our 2016 top 25 Mets prospect list. And like other scouts and evaluators at the time, we were impressed by the power, but there were concerns about his swing and his ability to hit for average and, of course, the defense. So fully healed, he was promoted to the St. Lucie Mets for the start of the 2017 season. And yet again, he was sent back to the disabled list, this time just six times, six games into the season when he was hit by a pitch in the hand. And he missed about a month. And then when he finally got back on the field, he spent the next couple of weeks really working the rust off. And by the time it was the FSL All-Star Game, uh, which is mid-June, you know, about the halfway point of the season, Pete was hitting... 167, 217, 269 with two homers in 21 games. Not good. During the break, you know, he worked with Chad Kruder and Louis Natera to kind of develop a new approach at the plate mentally and physically. Uh, mentally, they, they taught him to kind of compartmentalize his struggles because really he never had struggled before. Uh, quote from Pete. He said, I have to compartmentalize to get my mind off the struggles. I couldn't stand people maybe thinking, damn it, Pete's up. When things are going bad, people are going to get frustrated and it could be tough to get out there. I've never been known to dip below 200, like ever. I wanted to hit the panic button, but I'm proud of myself for getting out. End quote. Imagine thinking to yourself, damn it, Pete's up. God damn it, Pete's up and uh, there's no one on base. Yeah, pretty much. That, that is that, <laughs> That's the only time we're ever going to say damn it, Pete's up for the next Cuz the rest you know, of this lineup isn't good enough. Yeah. <laughs> um so they helped him with the mental side of things and then of course, uh physical, you know, uh, mechanics, they helped him a little bit. They changed his swing. They had him lower his hands a bit. Quote I started with my hands high, but they would go back down, and it was almost like a hitch. I wanted to be more efficient because in the Florida State League, you got a lot of guys who could throw hard. Why not just start my hands down, and that helped me to be more compact and efficient. And, you know, end quote. Pete embraced their help. Um, I remember kind of turning into one of the guys that was higher on Pete more so than others on our prospect team at the time. Because he was really open to coaching. And I felt like, you know, for a guy with his raw talent and everything, to be very open and, you know, looking to be helped would be a difference maker. And it turned out that, you know, it really it really was. It seems, it seems like he's always been a good oh. guy with a good work ethic, which mm -hmm. shit he's, matters. Yeah, he's not a guy that would, you know, was, I know I, I have big time power, just let me do it my own way and I'll, I'll get it done. Because that wasn't happening once he got uh, to the FSO. And quote Pete, I've got as much power as anybody. I know who I am. I'm a big strong guy. I could launch him with the best of them. When I get my swing consistent, the power will come. That's not a worry with me. End quote. And those were pretty prophetic words because when the second half of the Florida State League started, he went on an absolute tear. In 61 games, he hit 326, 407, 600 with 14 homers. 
And then when he got a late season promotion to the Binghamton Rumble Ponies at the end of August, he was just as dominant there. He hit 324, 342, 649 with a pair of homers in nine games. And that winter, Amazing Avenue ranked him nine on our 2017 top 25 prospect list. So Pete started the 2018 season in Binghamton, and he basically picked up where he left off. Along with uh, Jeff McNeil, who came back out of kind of oblivion, really. Him and McNeil, they formed one of the best one-two punches in the Eastern League. And in 65 games, Pete hit 314, 440, 573 with 15 homers. And in mid-June, he was promoted to the Las Vegas 51s. It took him a few weeks to get acclimated to AAA. But despite that, he still ended up hitting a, a well above average 260, 355, 585 with 21 homers in 67 games. And as a result of all that, last winter, Pete entered the 2019 uh, offseason as Amazing Avenue's top prospect. And it turns out that he really wouldn't retain his rookie eligibility for long because there was, you know, all that hoopla at the beginning of the year about whether or not he'd break camp with the Mets or whether or not, you know, it would be better, the team would be better off to keep him in the minor leagues for a little bit to get an extra year of control. But obviously, Brody made the right call because Pete was ready, and you really can't have a better season than the one that he had. I mean, for all the crummy things uh, the Mets and their owners and baseball does as a whole, at least uh, at least they didn't play games with Pete. They they got this one right. <laughs> yeah, for the first time ever, they got one right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember last winter, it was kind of a. Really, I don't know if it was a toss-up, I would say, or if it was kind of difficult to have to choose between Andres Jimenez and Pete Alonso as the top prospect. And most places went with Jimenez. I think we were one of the few that went with Alonso. And in retrospect, it just seems silly to, you know... In they kind of went in a complete opposite directions this year. Yeah, knowing what Pete... <laughs> would go on to do now and knowing the kind of struggles that Jimenez would have with the altered swing that they wanted him to work on last year. You know, it's a silly looking back on it. It's silly now, but uh, yeah. So here's the question to you guys. Who is the Mets next rookie of the year? Uh, I think we already talked about him. Uh, La Tortuga 2.0, clearly. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, okay. La Tortuga 2, Electric Boogaloo. Yep. Um, yep. I don't I, know I, that there is one on this. Series. Yeah, I don't know. If I had to play odds, I would probably say Alvarez, just because I'm, I'm probably higher on him than anybody else in the system. Mm. Um, but. When was the last time a catcher won Rookie of the Year? I don't know. That's a good question. I feel like that's a position that is probably extremely hard to pull it off at. Well, we'll see if Francisco Alvarez remains a catcher. Yeah, that's true. I don't think there's any Never been a rookie. Any doubt right now, but he is only 17, so who knows what happens in like five years. But as of now, he's definitely staying a catcher because he was an above-average defensive guy. Yeah. 
If I had to, if I, like, if he had played this year, I might have said Consegra. Cons- can- English is hard. Consegra, <laughs> thank you. Um, like, I think I, I, I think I'd probably go with him just because the position's easier and, like, I feel like it's easier to light things up as, like, a lot of the catcher's value is going to come from framing, and I still don't think, uh, the mainstream would appreciate that, whereas if you're a really good center fielder, it seems kind of hard to miss. Mm. So I'd probably go with him. Um, but like that's the longest of long odds. Yeah, that is a pretty long shot, but so is Wilfred Estudillo, so. You Which like one those... is more of a long shot, I wonder. <laughs> you like those long odds. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So you're, so saying you're telling? A chance. Damn it, you can't beat me through <laughs> Yeah, I think it's going to be either Alvarez or Matthew Allen. Yeah. Oh, Allen, we're idiots. (laughs) I mean, if he doesn't blow his arm out, yeah. Yeah, he has that kind of dynamic stuff that, you know, rookies, what is, what is rookie eligibility for a pitcher? Like 60 innings or something? Oh, 50, I think. 50, yeah. I mean, a guy like him, you know, he could come up a half season throw, you know, 60, 70, 80 innings in like a second half and look real good and get a lot of votes and especially, you know, New York media and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if he had like Mark, Mark, <clears throat> Mike Soroka's year, um, but in like a less stacked year, he'd be, you know, definitely towards the top of the ballot. I mean, Mike yeah. Soroka's had a really good year. He just had yeah. a very good year. I don't know if we can feasibly hope for that from Allen, but. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's a it's a good uh projection. <laughs> yeah. And it's a good segue to you know pour one out for all those poor other rookies that played this year. Soroka a great year, but not better than Pete. Fernando Tatis Jr. obviously great year when he was on the field, but he just wasn't on the field. Hot take. Enough. Hot hot take if Tatis was healthy all year, he should have been the rookie of the year. Nah. Um, people are people are not going to be happy with me for that. No, nah, bro. No. Nah. Okay. <laughs> right, I'm going to uh, end Lucas's portion of this final. Uh huh. Uh huh. Look, he's objectively better. He just wasn't healthy enough. <laughs> this was the year that uh, Brian Reynolds became a thing. Brian Reynolds strikes me as a very Chris Coughlin esque rookie. Uh, Actually, let's see. I'm pretty sure both of them times we're living in, man. <laughs> Chris Coughlin, let's see. Biz rookie. You, you, just, you don't have to wait for me while I uh, fl- yeah, go on this flight. I'm gonna, on a, um, yeah, so Brian Reynolds hit somehow hit 314, 377, 503, which like, I liked him fine at a Vanderbilt. Um, but like <laughs> – uh, That's like way way better than I, my wildest dreams for him would have been. Nice. I think this was Victor yeah. Robles. That was just, this was his first year, I think, right? Or his first full year. Uh huh. All right, so yeah, he beat him out. He's another guy that in another year probably definitely would have won Rookie of the Year. No, I was picking him. I think he was my preseason pick for Rookie of the Year. No, well, I know on on the Dodgers. Um, Verdugo, he's another guy that Meh. had had solid numbers, and in a, again in another year would have been in much more consideration. 
who else in the National League? I think those are the major ones. I've seen the AL. Oh, um, Tommy Edmond had a three-war um, season. I don't know if he played enough to qualify, but Keston Hierro. Yeah. In Milwaukee. Oh, yeah. Forgot about him. They had him up and down a lot because they were yeah. trying to make Travis Shaw good again. But They kind of jerked him around like we were worried that Pete might get. I'm not going to finish that sentence. That would have been yeah. kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kevin Kevin Newman on the Pirates. Kevin recent. Newman also had another Babbitt fueled year for the Pirates. <laughs> How do the Pirates have two of like the most Babbitt be uh, super ones. generic like pretty good prospects who just Babbitt their way into like elite seasons <laughs> and they get nothing out of it because the rest of their team is so bad. It's Watch so that cool. happen to Will Craig next year. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Watch Will Craig come up and somehow hit 280 with power. Will, will, uh, someone who didn't have enough at bats but would have def- been a contender with more time, Will Smith, because he just started launching bombs every other at bat almost. Um, but he only got 150 plate appearances, I think, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, will Smith, the catcher for the Dodgers, not yep, the reliever yep. for the Giants. Yep. Though I think yeah, Will so. Smith did hit a home run off Will Smith this year. I would hope so. Again, wild times we're living in. Uh huh. And, and if Will Smith is in the stands, then that would be. Well, well, the well, the Dodgers. Will Smith did get the Fresh Prince as his walk-up music at one point, so he uh playing to All the right. crowd well. That's good then. Yeah. Know your audience. So yeah, a lot of a lot of worthy uh, performances this year in the National League, but there's no one was as good as Pete. So here, let me let me ask this question, and I imagine I know your answers already, but I think it's an interesting exercise. Who has the better career, Pete Alonso or Jordan Alvarez? I was literally just thinking. Mm. That. Mm. Um. Well, if Jordan Alvarez is more of a 170 WRC plus player than a 150 WRC plus player with. Yeah. The- Basically having half the number of at-bats that Alonzo did this year, then I, I think it's pretty clearly him. Yeah. Um, 375, Okay, so let's take 70 points from the average OBP and slugging. and That is pretty close. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there is the value of him still being able to play a corner outfield position. Mm. He's two years younger. Mm-hmm. Um... Maybe three? I don't actually know off the top of my head. He is, no, 24, so two full years younger. Um, that being said, I love Big Pete. <laughs> yes. There's only one Big Pete. <laughs> Let's see. By DRC, they were actually, yeah, so Jordan was 149 and Pete was 141. So within. So pretty, a lot closer. Yeah, within, mm-hmm. with both within each other's standard deviation, I believe. Uh, no, they're one standard deviation away, because each of them had an SD of seven. So, slightly better for Jordan, but fewer at-bats, and blah, blah, blah. I think that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how the best um, the best uh, position player from the 2014 draft has been like four different dudes at different points. Yeah. Um, I could very easily see uh, this going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I feel like we the stage was set for us to have this go, like, Conforto, like, the Cubs fans all thought it'd be Schwarber, and then there were the people, yeah. who, like, it was like every, every, every team has Conforto. And mm-hmm. then Conforto had the super 
2017 season, and then Matt Chapman became Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman. Trey Turner. Trey Turner. (laughs) So it's legitimately been like four different people. It is decidedly not Kyle Schwarber. It is not. That one one is wrong. (laughs) He did have a pretty good year this year, but not on par (laughs) with everyone else. Like, Conforto's a really good hitter. Chapman's a really good hitter and just, like, an alien-level defender, and Trey Turner's a shortstop. So uh, try again, Kyle Schwarber, please. Yep, a pretty good uh, crop of rookies that year. Pretty good crop of rookies this year. It'll be exciting. And, you know, it'll be even better if while these guys were all in the major, if while they were all in the minor leagues, they got paid better, huh? Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't yeah. that be great? That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. If we want to, if we want to do a thought exercise real quick here, anyone from the 2016 draft we think will pass Pete? Mickey Moniak. No. Ooh. Nick an, I, Nick, maybe. Um, I actually had that open for a minute. I no longer do. Zach Collins uh, <laughs> is bad. There are a lot of pitchers in this draft. Kyle Lewis's knees are all screwed up, unfortunately. Josh Lowe is okay, but not this good. I, I think the best bet is, might be, uh, Alex Kirilov. Because yeah, it's, it's probably if it's if it's anybody, it's probably one of the the prep hitters. Oh wait, I'm that's blind. a little farther away. Gavin Lux is, is oh the, maybe yeah. Gavin Lux went twentieth overall in this draft, so yeah, I would say Kirilov maybe Lux maybe Keyboom uh, possibly, although I don't think he's that good. Me neither. Uh, I liked Kirilov so much. I was so pissed off when the Twins took him. Yep. Like a few picks before the Mets. Ugh. Yeah, I'd rather have had him than done. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent agree. <laughs> yeah. So many better picks after done in this draft. Uh Will Smith also in this draft. So I I could see it, like there there are a couple. I could Pete, see it bouncing around, but that being yeah. said, Pete Pete has a lead. Is the first one with um like an all star type campaign from this draft. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, you guys have any last words for the week? Uh, love me some Pete. Yep. Long live large Peter. Yep, yep, yep. I'm surprised, I mean, maybe we are more refined folk, but not once did the whole polar bear thing come up. Oh. Not Sorry. a fan of that. So. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you could send us an email at our email address, from complex to queens at gmail.com. You could follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Seiper. Lucas says at Elvlahos343. And Ken is at KenLevin91. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Rate and review it, please. And, of course, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week with now an actuality, because I said this last week, but we will be back with a recap of the 2019 Binghamton season. And until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.